I got to be honest with you, when I uh, when I decided after Mother's Day to continue on examining this field of study and I came up with the uh, the title for the series, uh, Manhood, Womanhood and Marriage, uh, I'll just have to tell you, I really lucked out when I picked that title because I'm finding out that that is that is the right title in very uh, in, in, in very specific in many ways. Uh, the more and more research I do, I'm finding that uh, I got so lucky, God blessed, that, it, that I called it that. That I didn't call it uh, something related to uh, husbands and wives and marriage. For much the same reason that I just said to you, Scripture has something deeper to say past husbands and past wives, straight into our manhood and straight into our, our womanhood. Uh, and as I got into the bulk of the research for this series... Uh, which was after I came up with the title, I began to uh, thank God that that is the title because manhood, womanhood, then we'll talk about marriage. Uh, there's something right about that. And that's really what I hope for you to understand this morning. Uh, let me give you a quote, and this will kind of start us off. If, if you get this, all right, I don't have a whole lot for you today. Um, I'm going to... Uh, Cut a bunch of the paragraphs I have here in my notes. If you get this, if you get this quote, you really get what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. And I think it it helps us to understand where we've been and it'll help us to understand where we're going to go in this series in the next couple of weeks. So listen to this. A guy who is uh, uh, one of the big dogs in this field of talking about manhood and womanhood and Christianity. A guy named Dr. Larry Crabb. Uh, he's in a bunch of the writings that I've researched He said this, and again, if you get this, uh, you could probably go home. You don't have to listen to me uh, try and unpack it, but I will. The more deeply I move into the lives of people, he says, the more clearly I recognize the unique struggles and joys that come with our existence as male and female. Remember I told you the very first of this series that in this in this field of study, uh, words are, are very specific and intentional. When we blur, he says, the distinctions between the sexes or trivialize them into shallow stereotypes, when we blur them or we trivialize them, we limit our opportunity to enjoy the creative brilliance of God. In my judgment, one of the central needs of Western culture in our day is a clear definition of masculinity and femininity. More personal and social problems than we suspect have their root in the failure to live in the richness of our unique sexuality. That quote is on the insert if you have one of those. Here's here's where we've been. Are we equal? Yes. We spent a week talking about how we are equal in our personhood, in, in creation. Spiritually speaking, across the board, we are joint heirs in Jesus, male and female. God sees no distinction in that way. We are of equal value and of equal worth before God. That was the first thing we needed to say. We needed to, we needed to champion that. We needed to say, yes, there is a way in which we are equal. We moved on from there and we said, but... That does not have to mean, it does not have to mean that we are the same. 
And that seems so obvious. It seems so obvious. But that's what Dr. Crabb is saying is getting blurred and trivialized. That difference. Are we equal, worth, value before God? Are we joint heirs? Yes. Yes, indeed. Creation, Genesis, proclaims that. And our recreation in Christ affirms that. But it doesn't mean that our distinctions are abolished. God did, in fact, make us male and female. And there is some reasoning. There is some design behind that. So what do we mean when we say we are not the same? Uh, Here's what we mean. I just want to be very clear this morning. What we mean when we say we're not the same is that we have, in fact, distinctive roles to play different from the opposite sex. Men, you have distinctive roles to play different than a woman. Women, you have distinctive roles to play different than a man. That's what we mean when we say we are equal, but we are not the same. That's what it means not to be the same. We have, we have different roles. The question we addressed last time was, are those roles what ought to be, or are they, or are they just what is? Did you catch that? Are the roles that we have been given what ought be? Is that what God actually designed it to be? That there would be male headship and there would be uh, female submission? Is that what God said ought be? Or is it just what is? And by is, we mean, is it just the way it is and it's unfortunate? And the answer to that question, the simple answer to that question is, it is what ought be. Our roles, our divine wiring is what ought be. The fact that there is in Scripture male headship and female submission, right? If we put tags on them, leadership, helpship, whatever you want to call it. The fact that we have different roles to play, even though we are joint heirs in Jesus, even though from creation to recreation we are affirmed as equal in value and worth does not mean that we are not distinct and we don't have different roles to play. We have different roles to play. Larry Crabb said, the roles that God has designed, if we play them, we, quote, enjoy the creative brilliance of God. The argument goes like this. Um, are we living in these role distinctions based on sin, based on what just is or what ought to be? And we unpacked this last week when we said, no, in fact, we are not living in our role distinctions based simply on the fall. We looked at Genesis 3.16 and it gives the curse It says that women shall desire for their husbands and the husbands will rule over them. And we talked about how that indicates at the root level a distortion of the original design, the divine wiring of God, that that men do have an authority in their very in their very personhood, in their very creation, in their very nature. Women do have a submissive role in their very nature, in their very womanhood, in their very person. The problem is it has been unfortunately corrupted through the fall 
Is it what ought be? Not the distortions. Not the heavy-handed ruling of men. Is it what ought be? Not the distortion of the woman desiring to usurp the leadership, the divinely inspired leadership of a man. And that's where we are. That's where we unpacked last time. Uh, Is there evidence in Scripture previous to the fall that there are role distinctions, that men you play one role and women you play another role? Now, notice that I didn't say husbands you play one role and wives you play another role. There's some reasons for that. So hold on. There are other arguments against the fact that we have role distinctions. One of the main arguments, as I just said, is that at the fall, role distinctions were ushered in. And now we have husband as the authority and wife as the submissive one. That's not how it ought to be, but it is how it is. We should overcome that being recreated in Christ. In our new creation, we should dismiss that. We should be equal and level and there should be no headship and there should be no submission. Christ overcomes that. And we gave evidence last time that that is not, in fact, entirely true. The fall did not bring about our roles. Our roles were there long before the fall. There's another argument. It goes something like this. If the first doesn't work out for you, uh, try this one. Aren't gender distinct roles just cultural constructs? And by cultural constructs, I mean... uh, Things that our culture constructs, okay? Things that our culture builds into the daily life of men and women. Things that are imposed by traditions of men in a certain place or at a certain time to meet certain needs of that culture or that society. So here's the argument. If it's not true that the fall has given us roles, that the fall is the impetus for our role distinctions in manhood and womanhood, then maybe this is it. Maybe it's just a product of ancient, arbitrary, cultural impositions of chauvinistic men and weak women. Maybe that's it. Maybe it is a cultural construct that if we mature enough, if we are wise enough, if we grow up enough, if we get smart enough, right, we'll grow out of that sort of thinking. Isn't that just old first century Paul kind of living? I mean, of course it was like that back then. Isn't that just kind of leave it to beaver sort of living? I mean, of course we've grown out of that, right? Isn't there no distinction uh, between like black and white in the same thing to say that there's no distinction between male and female? Um, well, in fact, that's, that's not good. That's not good thinking. Those are two totally different categories. All right, so if it's not the fall, maybe it's our cultural constructs. Maybe it's our cultural biases that we should mature beyond. There's a whole lot wrong with that that kind of thinking, but the simple answer is no. Our roles are not rooted in the fall, and our roles are not rooted in ancient cultural thinking. The last line of your notes there. It gives you the one point that I want to really make this morning. Here it is. Our respective roles, our respective roles are rooted in our nature. 
our respective roles, our very nature, our manhood and our womanhood is the root of our role distinction. Our roles spring from who we are as men and women and are not a result of the fall and not a result of ancient cultural constructs. So, we could go this morning, and I'll I'll not do it. Uh, We'll come back to it, to 1 Corinthians 11. We could go to Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 2. We could look Old Testament as we did in the previous weeks. We could go to New Testament as we will in in coming weeks, and we could show that that Scripture never gives credit to our roles, either to the fall, and it never gives credit to the roles to cultural constructs. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in those passages I just mentioned, he does the exact same thing that Genesis does. He goes back to creation, and he says, if you want to know why we have distinctions in manhood. You want to know why manhood looks like this and why womanhood looks like this? It's not because of first century culture. It's because of creation. All of the New Testament goes back to the passages we've already looked at in Genesis and says, it's just the way God has divinely wired us. It has nothing to do with the fall. The fall only distorted the roles that we're supposed to play. And it has nothing to do with just old fuddy-duddy, has-been, 40s mentality culture. Or even further back to that's just first century Paul thinking. We can grow up out of that. We can grow up out of that. No, in fact, the answer is that our roles come from neither one of those, but they come from our very nature. Our very manhood, our very womanhood, who you are as a male, who you are as a female, dictates your roles. Now, that sounds pretty simplistic. As I spell it out, that sounds, sounds pretty, pretty simple, but that is the very thing that's being attacked. And I won't go into a whole bunch of it. I gave you a couple websites at the bottom of your, your note page there. Let me read to you. Um, the Center for uh, Christian, uh, what is it now? I've lost it. Um, CBE, International. Christians for Equality. I've lost it. Um, sorry. That is, the, uh, that is the top program, that is the top group of Christians, mind you, who are proposing... That our differences should be leveled. There are a couple terms used that uh, let me uh, give them to you. It, it's it's what's used in the in the discussion. Uh, the terms used in the discussion are are called be sex blind and gender leveling. That, that's the goal of the CBE International, a Christian group, mind you who interpret scripture to say that we should not see distinctions in our roles as males or females, husbands or wives, men and women in the church. Across the board, there, there, is, no, there is no difference. We are essentially, going back to our first couple points, we are equal and we are the same in every way. Aside from just some biological plumbing differences, okay, which have become negligible, right? And with a little bit of science and uh, medical help, we can 
we can try and take care of those even now. Uh, but aside from those, there are no differences. Listen to the tagline for, uh, for this website, very top of the page. Here's their, here's their purpose tagline. Advancing a biblical foundation for gift-based rather than gender-based ministry and service. You, you see where they're going? You see what their desire is? see what they're proposing? They're advancing a biblical foundation in their understanding for gift-based rather than gender-based. There are no differences, gender speaking. We are to be sex-blind, gender-leveling. There are no differences. We simply want to look at our giftedness and then determine what roles we play. So find your gifts, and then you just act out of your gifts. And that sounds pretty close to what mainstream evangelical churches will say. Now, notice, again, I'm talking about a, a Christian group here. We're not, talking about, we're not talking about outright homosexual and lesbian groups opposing the church. We're talking about those within the body of Christ who, who are teaching a slightly different word, right? And, and do you see the difference? Let's look at our gifts. I would say, in fact, that all the gifts mentioned in the New Testament are equally available for both males and females. All right. And that might take some unpacking. I'm not going to do that this morning, but let me just say, I will agree with them to this point. The gifts in the New Testament are all available to both men and women. I would agree with that. How you employ those gifts, how you employ those gifts is the question. So let me just give you one example. Male and female both might have the gift of teaching. But how you employ that gift of teaching is the question. See, Scripture would say that men and women alike have shared access to all the gifts. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all the gifts are used in the same way at the same time in the same place. There are distinctions. With this group and many who... uh, or on this side of the issue, would say is, let's just look at the gifts, say there are no differences, let's be sex blind, let's level the genders, and now you act, we act, not out of any distinctions, we can all do it all, because we weren't wired any differently, okay? We can all do it all, and so you just act out of your giftedness. All right. So if it's not, if it's not sin, that sparked our role distinctions. If it's not uh, the cultural constructs that sparked our cultural differences. And if it's not primarily or necessarily even our gifts that spark our role constructs, I would argue. What I mean by that is that your giftedness is not where your roles come from. Your giftedness expresses your roles by nature. Okay? There is something deeper. And this is, this is the whole point. It goes back to the bottom line on your page there. There is something deeper than your giftedness that God has hardwired into you as men or as women that determines your roles. Long before your gifts expose those roles or manifest those roles or help you express those roles. So, all right, we go back to the question. 
And this is where we're going in the next couple of weeks. What does it mean then? You're saying that men are hardwired different than women. And that's not a result of the fall. It's not a result of our cultural biased, you know, old way of thinking. It's not something we can grow out of. We can't just go by our gifts. It goes all the way back to creation. Old Testament, New Testament. It goes all the way back to creation to find our roles, our very nature, our very manhood and womanhood are rooted in creation, are rooted in our very nature. Then, then what are they? In the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to give you, uh, as best I can, definitions to help us understand what it means to be male and what it means to be female according to the counsel of Scripture. Again, notice that I didn't say what it means to be husband or what it means to be wife. Why? Because this goes past how you actively show your nature in being a husband or in being a wife. It goes to the very root of who you are in your personhood. Now, why is that important? Why do I make that point? There are a few reasons why that's important. Number one. If we're just talking about being wired as husbands and wives and how we interact as husbands and wives or even how we interact as men and women in the church, the two primary uh, focuses of Scripture, frankly, in relation of men and women relating the home and the church. If if we are not gifted to our roles, if our roles determine our giftedness, if we express our roles through our giftedness, and if we express our roles through our being husbands and being wives, we got to go back. We got to go back and say, what does it mean to be man and woman? And if we can't do that, if we can't do that, then we have nothing to say to the man or woman who's single, right? You see, our roles are determined by our nature. And so therefore, we're not we're not jumping straight to marriage. We're talking about manhood and womanhood. And we can say now, okay, what does it mean to be a man to a single man? How do they relate to women on many different levels? How 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 is it understood through Scripture that I am to be woman, ladies, to my very nature, even if I'm not married? You see, so this series, and I started off by telling you, I'm I'm glad that the Lord protected me from calling it something else before I really knew why I was calling it manhood and womanhood. This series describes that very point. We've got to go back in a sense, and we've got to answer the fundamental question of not what do I need to look like as a husband and what do I need to look like as a wife? We've got to answer the question, what do I need to look like as a man? What does a man look like? That's important. So that single men and women aren't sitting here thinking, I don't know, I don't know why I'm listening to this. Another reason why this is important is because you don't have to be married to understand manhood and womanhood. Your manhood and womanhood doesn't uh, all of a sudden uh, become real because now you're a husband or you're a wife. You can certainly understand a biblical perspective of manhood, what it means to be man and what it means to be or what it means to be woman without having to be married. There's another group that this is important for. It's important for parents. All right. Uh, A few weeks back, uh, a few other guys and myself, we got this book uh, called Raising the Modern Day Night. We all have sons and we began reading this book together about how we're, what does it mean to raise a son different than what it means to raise a daughter? All right. Because that's the important part. 
What does it mean to raise a son different than what it means to raise a daughter? Because it would seem in our very nature that there is a difference. It used to be obvious. Now it's not so much. You see, culture today would have us not ask the question, what does it mean to raise a son differently than it would be to raise a daughter? Culture would have us ask the question this way. What does it mean to raise a good person, a contributing human to society? Don't impose maleness. Don't impose masculinity. Worry about what it means to be a person, a good human in society. Sex blind, gender leveling. And these other guys and I, we we started reading through this book and we began to ask ourselves uh, the primary question. Do we know what it means, really, as now grown men, do we really know what it means to be a man? And honestly, we sat around the table uh, to some degree scratching our head, trying to come up with a definition that sounded like something that would come from a grown up and not just from a child. Frankly, we struggled to say if we had to say it to our young sons, son, this is what it means to be a man other than different than a woman. Man, what a question. So. Understanding that God has divinely wired men and women different long before we get to marriage is a is a crucial question for parents, because sons and daughters, whether they ask it specifically or not, they're going to feel it at some point and they're going to have to figure it out somewhere along the way. If we don't tell them, mom, dad, what does it mean to be a man? Different than a woman. Sally, she does this and she seems to like this and I seem to like that. And and I'm drawn to this. What what does it mean? To be to be different than a girl. Moms, she's going to ask, what does it mean to be different than a boy? Um, It's another reason. There's another reason it's important. If. If it's not based on the fall, if our roles don't come from the fall, if our roles don't come from cultural impositions, cultural constructs that are arbitrary and we can grow out of and we should grow out of. All right. If it's not just uh, uh, in the category of being racist. okay. Uh, If it's something other than that. Amen. Hope that's not mine. Um. Then it must necessarily, if it is rooted in nature, as I would argue, and as we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks, if it is rooted in nature, all right, if our roles are rooted in our nature, not in the fall, not in cultural constructs, not even at least primarily in our giftedness, although I would say uh, that God, uh, that God does use that. We'll talk about that later. If we're going to argue that it comes from our very nature long before we're husbands and wives, um, then it necessarily must say something about our relationships between men and women long before marriage, outside of marriage, outside of the home and outside of the church. You know, a lot of the reasons why this type of teaching is not being uh, heard in our churches 
is because uh, one is very volatile and difficult topic to navigate through without getting lost in a forest of issues. But one of the issues I've seen now as I've been tracking through it is that uh, scripture admittedly focuses primarily when it comes to male female relationships on two areas. Okay. At least overwhelmingly. Predominantly, maybe is the right word. The home, the relationship between men and women in the home and the church, how men and women relate in the church. Right. It has it has a lot to say about that. There's another question, however, that if we make the argument that we're making, that our roles are rooted in our nature, there's another question we have to answer. Here's how it goes. If our roles are rooted in our nature, doesn't that then automatically say something about how we relate as men and women outside of the church and even outside of marriage? If if God has wired me in some sort of leadership initiator way as a man, if God has wired you as uh, in some sort of submissive help way as a woman, and it's not in culture and it's not from sin and it's not based on your giftedness and it's not something that just opens up when you become married husband and wife if we argue that it goes back to nature doesn't that then apply now to all my relationships as male and female and that's the really the difficult question that's the most popular question frankly people want to know well what does it mean i mean can uh, my wife be a drill sergeant in the marine corps if she wants to be um, should women be president of the United States, lead in that way? Um, can guys be nurses? Uh, should they be uh, secretaries? How, do, how does that work? You see where this comes from? If we are arguing, and we are, because I think from Old Testament to New Testament, our roles are rooted in our nature. Our roles are rooted in our very divinely inspired manhood and womanhood then they don't just play out in the home and they don't just play out and apply in the church. They must necessarily have something to do and we must necessarily better be ready to say something about how do men and women, should men and women relate in the world. There's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. Imagine what we do if we get rid of, if we find our way away from the fact that our roles aren't based on our nature. I mean, if we if we just find out that it's, you know, if it were just because of sin, uh, we need to get rid of that. Uh, we need to be sex blind and gender level. If it's just old fashionedness, right, we can get rid of that. We can be sex blind, gender, gender level. Uh, if we're if we don't find our manhood and womanhood rooted in our creation, rooted in our nature, uh, we've got a pretty slippery slope. And. You know, I, I wondered as I was talk, as I was preparing to talk to you about this this morning, it's somewhat academic. OK, it's somewhat academic. And some of you are saying, you know what? I have no I have no connection to any of these issues that you're talking about today, Daryl. It really doesn't. It really makes no difference to me up here in Jefferson, Georgia. My life isn't touched by this. I'm not in the theological debates between, you know, the two different groups listed here at the bottom of my note page. Okay. Um, I would say uh, 
It has more to do with your life than you know. If you have children and you are attempting to answer the question, what am I going to say to my son or what am I going to say to my daughter? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? How am I going to, how am I going to raise them into that? How am I going to bring my son up in that? How am I going to bring my daughter up to that? If you're asking those questions, you're going to start running into where this very point makes a difference. Because if we get rid of the distinctions, if we are equal and the same, and there is no divinely inspired wiring in us as men and women, way long before we're husband and wife, way long before we're interacting in the church, if that's not, if that's not wired in us, then you know what? We ought to get rid of all the differences. And we just ought to act out of, guess what, competency. If you can do it, do it. If he can do it, do it. If she can do that, great. If she's better at that, then do that. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul never once, never once points to our competency as men or our competency as women as his motivation for why we fill the roles that we fill in God's design in either the home or the church, and I would argue, in all of society. Never. He never says, you know what? Men are just better at this, and they need to do it. Men are just better teachers, and they need to be the pastors and the elders. That's it. And it's a good thing, right? Because we all know that's not, that's not the truth across the board. There are a great number of women in this church that could teach a great number of the men in this church under the table. We can't just say, and the Apostle Paul thankfully never says that women are just weaker than men and they ought not to do this sort of thing. He never argues from that. He always goes back to say, it's the way we were made from the beginning that determines our roles. Our roles are rooted in our nature, the way God wired us from the beginning. Men and women, you may find that you do things better than the other, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are to act in that role. In that way, in that time, and in that place. We'll unpack that more later. If we gender level, if we get rid of the distinctions, we open the door to a whole lot of stuff. Uh, I read a story as I was researching this. uh, I think it was a pharmacy in California. They got sued because the mom went in there with their daughter and the kid went over to the uh, toy section. And the toys were labeled toys for boys, toys for girls. They filed a lawsuit saying that it it had damaged their child and their child's psyche to have to decide between toys for boys and toys for girls. We need to be sex blind, gender leveling, all toys for all kids. You corrupted my child. Some of you guys, you know, you know how this works. And this is more of a trivial deal. But it's a slippery slope. A few years back, uh, at a, uh, I believe it was an Indianapolis Colts and uh, Patriots football game, there was a, a little incident. A lady's name was Lisa Olson. She was a reporter. And she decided she was going to go ahead and walk on in to the, uh, I believe it was the Patriots locker room. And uh, she then filed sexual harassment suit because there were, Imagine this, a bunch of naked guys walking around in the locker room and they started to uh, say, what are you doing in here? Her argument was all the male reporters get to go in and get the very first interview 
get the first words out of their mouth before they even get out of the shower. We're all the same. We're all equal. There is no difference. We need to be sex blind, gender leveling. I need the right to go in there just the same. And you got a bunch of guys saying, what's going on here? And they're throwing tape at her and it was an ugly sight and they didn't respond well. Uh, They got sued and they made an apology and all this. She ended up moving to Australia and wrote a book later, came back. It, it was a, it was really the spark of what we're just talking about. Okay. Um, I read some research just last night on one of the consequences of this. If we go down this road in relation to uh, who gets to raise kids. Uh, story came out of California of, uh, and there's many coming out every day of uh, judges having to make decisions over custody of children, whether to give custody of children to uh, a gay or lesbian single or couple over their heterosexual grandparents, etc. If, if maybe the parent died or one or the other died uh, and judges are having to make this decision, what's actually better? And so now they have to make this public decision to say, is it better for a child to be raised in a in a homosexual home or is there? Is there some advantage to them actually having uh, a husband male and a wife female in the home? Does that benefit them? You see, see how this goes? If there's no difference, we don't need a man in the home. Right? If there is no difference, we don't need the man in the home. Two women can do just as well of a job. I read this, I read this study. It was a 20-year study done by two University of Cal sociologists on uh, the effects of gay parenting on children. 20 years they followed these kids and these families. Started back in 1980. And uh, writing in a recent issue of the American Sociological Review, the authors said that the emotional health of the two sets of children, comparatively, in a heterosexual home and a homosexual or lesbian home, the two sets of children were essentially the same emotionally. So they said there was no difference. Now, they admitted that they were pro for homosexual partnerships, etc. I, I would suspect that makes a little bit of difference. But anyway, um, they said there's essentially no difference. The kids are just fine. They're just the same. Emotionally, there's no strain. There's no difference. Now, listen to some of the no difference bullet points here. And you tell me if there's no difference. Okay. The title of this section, by the way, is A Home with No Dad is Better. And the argument is that, in fact, sometimes it's actually better to have uh, the two lesbian women raising the child than than the man and the woman raising the child. Number one of their findings in this category, compared to the daughters of heterosexual mothers, the daughters of lesbians more frequently dress, play and behave in ways that do not conform to sex typed cultural norms. You got to understand, they say that that that's the good thing. That's a good thing. Okay, why is that a good thing in their estimation? Because they don't think there should be any sex typing. We should be sex blind. The more we can level the playing field, the better off we all are. We grow up out of this immaturity. So that's a good thing. They show greater interests. These are the. These are the. Daughters raised by lesbian couples. They show greater interest in activities with both masculine and feminine qualities. Doesn't sound bad. They have higher aspirations to occupations that are not traditionally 
female. Now, that doesn't sound bad unless, of course, God has so hardwired us that our roles are determined by our nature to some degree. Number two, your second finding in this category. In terms of aggression and play, sons of lesbians behave in a less traditionally masculine way. As if that's what we want. That's what they're saying. This is a good thing. The sons of two lesbians, they, they become less masculine. They're not so aggressive and they're not bullies and they're not, they, they don't, they're not all manly and, you know, gruff. Of course, that's not what we want. They're likely to be more nurturing and affectionate than their counterparts in heterosexual families. Number three, one study examined by the researchers indicated that a significantly greater proportion of young adult children raised by lesbians had engaged in same-sex relationships. Woohoo! Six out of the 25 interviewed of the kids of homosexual lesbian homes decided that they were going to engage in same-sex relationships. And that's, that's positive feedback because there shouldn't be a difference. Those raised by heterosexual mothers, none out of 20 interviewed, engaged in same-sex relationships. Number four, those raised by lesbian mothers were also more likely to consider a homosexual relationship. Five, teenage and young adult girls raised by lesbian mothers appear to be more sexually adventurous and less chaste than girls raised by heterosexual mothers. Did you catch that? Teenage and young adult girls raised by lesbian mothers appear to be more sexually adventurous and less chaste than girls raised by heterosexual mothers. That's supposedly good. Sons, on the other hand, were somewhat less sexually adventurous and more chaste than boys raised by heterosexuals. See how we're leveling the playing field here? You make the girls less chaste and the boys more effeminate, we neuter their sexuality. Six, the studies indicate that sexual orientation has no measurable effect on the quality of parent-child relationships or on the mental health of children. And that just seems to be a contradiction to everything I've already just read. What does it matter? What does it matter? Can we just leave this discussion in talking about husbands and wives and how we interact as husbands and wives, how we interact as male and female in the church? I don't think we can. Why? Because all of our arguments are that our very maleness and our very femaleness goes all the way back to how we were wired from the beginning. And that expresses itself in all of life. We've got to be willing to say something about that. Next week, we're going to define manhood. We may get to womanhood, we may not. Then we're going to define womanhood, and then we'll go towards marriage. Let me read you one more quote. James Dobson, you know the name well. He has something similar to say as the first quote I gave you. But he said it a little differently, and I think it speaks a little bit to the danger of not addressing these issues. Feminist resistance to making manhood and womanhood, right? It's our very nature. The resistance to making manhood and womanhood significant in behavior and role determination, i.e. our marriages, church, military, business world, etc. He says is partner. That's a great word. 
as partner to some of the most painful social and spiritual issues of our day. Feminist resistance to making manhood and womanhood significant in behavior and role determination is partner to some of the most painful social and spiritual issues of our day. Next week, we're going to try and define what does it mean then? What does it mean then for me to be a man? How do I live not only in relationships of marriage, relationships with women in the church, but relationships in the business world, uh, vice versa for women? We've got to figure that out. If we get that, then it flowers in the home and it flowers in the church. Let's pray.